Would you please pray with me? Lord, once again, it's a privilege to come together as your people to see how we might love others well in our day as you've called your people in every age to do so. And I pray we make a difference in the way we live and move and have our being as we relate to other people. And Lord, as we look at this passage and learn to fight, argue, disagree in a way that honors you, I pray that you would spur our hearts on to know you and to do so well. Take our minds now and think through them. Take my lips and speak through them. Take our wills and bend them to yours. And take each and every one of our hearts and set them on fire with love for you and for your son, Jesus Christ. For it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, today, brothers and sisters, we find ourselves in week seven of eight of Loving Others Well in a series entitled Emotionally Healthy Relationships. We've learned this spring through the Word of God how to check in the temperature of the room with another person. We've learned how to stop reading another person's mind and to clarify expectations. We've learned to look at our family history. And that might be uncomfortable, but to do so and to clear and look at patterns that we have of relating to other people. We've, in so doing, we've gone below the level, surface level of the water of our iceberg to see what's the issue behind the issue, to see how we are. And from knowing ourselves, because we do know ourselves, we listen incarnationally and we are people of integrity as Christians, that we're the same person on Friday night or Saturday night that we are Sunday morning. We're the same person at work as we are on Sunday morning. We're the same person in the pub as we are on Sunday morning. We're the same person on the golf course. Wherever we're found, we're people of integrity. That's what we talked about last week as we saw Paul call Peter on the carpet. Not being a person of integrity. And today we embark at the very practical skill of fighting in a clean way. How do you honor God when you stridently disagree with another person? We live in a post-truth, what I would call rage addiction culture. You know, because people feel entitled when they disagree with you to go enraged, right? And therefore, to cancel you. That... If you disagree with another person, you need to just write that person out of your life. Never talk to them again. To be ignored forever. Alexander Solzhenitsyn felt that way. He wrote, I used to think that if I can only take just all of them, the people in that are wrong with the world, and gather them up and get them out of here, it would solve the problem. But then I discovered that the line of good and evil runs right down the middle of every human heart. That's the biblical worldview, my friend. That's what it means in our post-truth culture. We need to take humility to recognize that we are the problem. <laughs> the line between good and evil runs right down the middle of our hearts. And in a world where the culture believes that our side is good, their side is bad, no matter where you are, and where the dominant perspectives of our culture are driven by the far right and the far left, 
brothers and sisters, the political worldviews are too small to solve the world's problems. Because they don't take the human condition seriously. And the human condition is that there's evil in the human heart. We are what's wrong with the world. And that sin takes on a life of its own, and it can invade entire structures of a society. That's why we see societies of national oppression. Did you know that when the Paralympics started, the Soviet Union refused to attend because there were no paraplegics in all the Soviet Union? Did you know that? Oh, really? There are today in the former Soviet Union nations. There are cultures that seek to exterminate Down syndrome. There are, that's why we see racial injustice in our English American history. That's why we, and yet we see all those issues and there's a side of the culture that just blames it on systemic evil. Well, that's too small a solution for this world. For as Christians, we claim that the reality is our world has been created by God, it's fallen, it's been redeemed, and one day will be restored. And what we are talking about today is the world doesn't understand Genesis 3 very well. And both sides of the political sphere are blind to that reality. So as we approach this subject, keep that in mind. How do we love others in this culture of ours? Well, we don't need to go far in the Bible. I encourage you to turn with me to Daniel chapter 1 for a core issue of discipleship in the new family of Jesus is learning how to resolve conflict maturely. As a matter of fact, many people, when they take the Emotionally Healthy Relationships course, want to start with this one first. Why? And it's understandable. They want to be clear of the relational pains that they find themselves in as quickly as possible. But we need to be realistic. And all the other skills that we've learned this spring through the power of his words. Conflict occurs on a spectrum, you know, from your teenager who forgets to take out the garbage to marital breakups. And this week in our little churches, we're going to take just the beginning step of, of dealing and using this tool to fight cleanly. So it's not going to solve our long-standing conflicts this week. We're on a journey together, wherever we are. And the fight cleanly is built on the previous six weeks. Uh, To be good at conflict resolution, you have to be good at knowing what's going on inside of you. To speak respectfully, honestly, and in a timely fashion. You have to be really good at clarifying your expectations. And really good at listening incarnationally. And get at your values, as we discussed last week. So you can be a person of integrity. How good are you at those skills? If you're like me, we're just beginning to continue to get this. Those of you who walked with me last week, last year rather, in emotionally healthy relationships, I'm sure are being greatly blessed because I'm like learning new things even as we walk through it again. 
so it's, it's, it's good that we're here as a body today, as we continue. So the purpose of this week is beginning to learn how to resolve conflict in a mature manner. By eliminating dirty fighting tactics and by taking responsibility in our lives for the difficult issues. We each come from families where we learn to do conflict in a particular way. Perhaps your mother was a yeller and a screamer and your dad was an appeaser and would hold off his anger but yet explode in anger after a while. Whatever it was. That was my family. My family, you didn't talk about such things. But then all of a sudden, out of the blue, dad would blow up and my mom would blow up and it was like, what? Right? Many of you have observed family relationships that are ruptured or broken, but they haven't been repaired. How many of you had parents or caregivers model for you how to resolve conflict in a God-honoring way? I've been in Christian ministry now for 25 years. Very few have learned this from their parents. And so... We hear the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 9. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children, sons of God. And we think that peacemaking is to be avoided at all costs. Or, you know, conflict is to be avoided at all costs. And we mistakenly think that while the emperor has no clothes on, and there's an elephant in the middle of the room, we need to be nice when situations clearly around us aren't right. And so we don't want to get anybody upset. We be nice. We don't rock the boat and we say nothing when the emperor has no clothes on for crying out loud. And while everything above the surface looks calm, below the surface there's tension and there's anger and there's going to be a blow up. Jesus really models for us true peacemaking. Just read the Gospels, my friends. Uh, he models for us that he did not ignore the problems that were before him. Yes, he's God. I know that. But one aspect of our Lord's incarnation is that we can follow his model, right? He brought disruption in order to bring peace. He did not avoid conflict or appease people. Jesus didn't ignore tensions. He didn't ignore differences either. And true peace in any relationship, whether it be the family or the workplace or wherever we are, will never come by pretending what is wrong is right. So when you're in a fight or you're in a disagreement, what's your tendency? To give the other person the silent treatment? To lecture them, to blame them and go on the attack, to use a condescending tone, to threaten, to name call. I told you that smack talk was my love language, right? You know, it's not helpful to call people names, and it doesn't honor God, Gene. 
to be overly critical, to use sarcasm, to complain, to deny that there's even a problem. Walk out of the room, huffy and puffy, to placate, to avoid the conflict entirely. Raise your voice to an unacceptable level in order to gain power. To say, you always, or you never, uh, be passive-aggressive. To embellish or to lie, rather than speak the truth in love. To show contempt for the other person. And worst of all, use physical violence. No, I read that list, and that's directly from Pete Scazzaro's book. Because you go through that checklist, and you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, welcome to the club. But none of that are God's way of approaching conflict. To approach that the emperor has no clothes on. Jesus, in God's people never should accept a false peace. Remember that. Write that down. We don't accept a false peace. And we don't walk on eggshells for anybody. We respect people, but we live our lives before the God of the universe and we're his beloved child. And you know who understood that? A teenager named Daniel. Let's look at Daniel. Let's, let's look at his situation. 586 B.C. Scholars believe Daniel is about 14, 15, 16. And so in the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, King Nebuchadnezzar of the Babylonian Empire just has had it with the nation of Israel and Judah. Surrounds Jerusalem, starves the people out. Many of them die of starvation, and then he invades. They break down the walls. They kill any adult. They tear the temple down, but before they tear the temple down, they take all the vessels out. Okay? Just imagine. Think about this in our terms. We get invaded Every single pyramid, paschal candle, candlesticks, patents, chalices, banners, communion vessels, taken away and placed in a museum known as the treasury. You can pay and go on a tour of the treasury in Babylon. And the tour guide says, and this is where the, the Christians... They set up the Paschal candle from Easter to Pentecost, their season. <laughs> it's false, but that's what they did. Isn't it beautiful? And this is a brass candlestick. And, you know, and they, would, they would take people on a tour, mocking the one true God. Okay? And all the adults were taken, but everybody about 20 and under, women were taken off to be slaves. And young men were taken off, and the best looking and the smartest were brought 
into King's College, Babylon. All right? Where they learned the ways of Babylon. You were forced to assimilate and become Babylonian. It wasn't tolerated that you would be Jewish. You were now a Babylonian, and you were taught how to be a Babylonian. And it was an amazing culture. They had incredible, it was the most advanced culture of their day. And today, you know it as Iraq, Baghdad, is where Babylon was. And so they come with this situation, and Daniel teaches us something. Number one, notice that in chapter one, their names are Daniel. God is my judge, is the Hebrew meaning. God, not you, God is my judge. We named our last son Daniel for that reason, that he would live as a man who understands he lives his life before an audience of one judge, nobody else. Isn't that great? Hananiah means the Lord shows me his grace. Mishael means who is what God is. It's a question. Every time you heard his name, there's no God like Yahweh. And Azariah means the Lord is my helper. What great names. But what does Nebuchadnezzar force the chief of the eunuchs to do? Change their names. No longer is their identity in Israel. Their identity is one of us. So we know the three friends as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? That's how we remember them. No. They're Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. So it becomes a question for them of identity. So young people, this is a conversation today. Your identity, follow Daniel. Adults, we follow Daniel and his model. Asking ourselves, who are we really? Daniel trusted God and his sovereignty as the one who gave him significance. His identity is as a child of God, the living God, the one true God. And so the presenting issue for Daniel is not the name change. Because they're going to call me what they call me, Belteshazzar. My name is Daniel. <laughs> right? And they're in the cafeteria at King's College. They are given the king's food and the king's wine, which is used as a toast to the other gods. Okay? Which, as a believing Jew, would defile you. Meaning, you're filthy, you're dirty, you're no longer pure unto the Lord to be used unto him. So, how does Daniel handle this conflict? And it is a conflict. And it's a conflict which, if he gives in, he's compromising. Because most of the conflicts we find ourselves in uh, with our world, if we give in, we're compromising, right? How can we not compromise and live unto the Lord? First thing Daniel does is he approaches Ashpenaz, the chief of the eunuchs. So Ashpenaz is in charge of making sure all these young men eat properly. And so the first thing he does is he approaches Ashpenaz with great respect. Okay? That's first and foremost in this whole conversation. It's not said here. You can see it. 
He treats the person as an image bearer of God, even though Ashpenaz does not know God. He doesn't talk condescendingly. He doesn't call him names. He doesn't use phrases that would be insulting. He treats him with great respect. Number two, Daniel lives with a great resolve that his identity is in God. Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself. All right? So the presenting issue is eating unkosher foods for a Jewish boy. Jewish young man, by the way. Three, he states his request clearly, respectfully, and specifically. All right? Verse 12, test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to, be, to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. So you, you state specifically your request, clearly and respectfully, and then you give a check-in date. <laughs> Let's try this for 10 days. Ashpenaz, sir. <laughs> you know, let's, let's try it. And finally, he trusts the sovereignty of God. Because you see, you see Ashpenaz's problem, don't you? He's on the orders of the king to get these young men to become Babylonian. And Aspenaz fears this public commitment of Daniel in the name of the God of Daniel will be to Daniel's disadvantage and intellectual, he will lack, he will lack opportunities to advance. Basically. Plus, it'll cost me my head. <laughs> nope. So Daniel follows through, and you heard what happened. Daniel trusts the sovereignty of God in being faithful to God. They were brought before the king. They were on a vegetarian diet. They looked great. They looked more fit. And they spoke with great wisdom on the learning that they were doing so that they became chief advisors to the king. Not even the Babylonian magicians and enchanters had all the wisdom that Daniel, Azariah, Hananiah, Mishael had. <laughs> it's beautiful. So let's look at this. Let's just look at some basic uh, conflict resolution tactics that Daniel teaches us here. Expand upon them a little bit because some of these are implied here. You're in a fight with your spouse or your kid. Your kids, you're in a spite with your parents. Co-worker, friends, anyone. Number one, state the problem. Keep it in the first person and say, I notice blank. <laughs> I notice. Not you always or you never. I notice. What's the issue? Then two, state what you value. I value our relationship and our friendship, whatever it might be. And just... I value blank what you have with this other person. Three, when you blank, I feel blank. All right, fill in whatever you're going through. When you blank, I feel blank. Do 
Now what do you want them to do? So four, state your request just like Daniel. Clearly, respectfully, and specifically. State your request clearly, respectfully, and specifically. And fifth, listen to their response and discuss it. Then we go back to two weeks ago. Listen incarnationally. Ask questions of one another. If you're on the receiving end of this, you ask questions. Okay? And then sixth and final, give a check-in date. And trust the sovereignty of God <laughs> in the relationship. My friends, in our culture, we are told to keep it quiet, and we mustn't. we got a few more weeks in Easter, and then we go into the wonderful season of Trinity Pentecost season, where we're, we're going on mission, all right? Each one of us reached one. We, we have never done this, all right? Each one reached one person this year, between now and December. Let's see what the Lord does. Let's give it a try. Let's be intentional. We're getting equipped to be sent. And we're going to stand with Christ. Every single one of us at one time or another faces an opportunity to compromise our faith and our holiness. So therefore, we all need to have adequate preparation to pursue holiness with the realization that our personal holiness impacts ourselves and those around us. And it prepares us for the future challenges of ministering in a 21st century world which doesn't have a clue, just like Babylonia. Brian Chapel worked for a major road construction company in western Tennessee while he was in college. He needed this money in order to go to college. And it was a great paying job, and since jobs at that time were hard to get, he it was important that he keep this one every year he comes back for the summertime. And he was doing such a great job at it, his, summer, his supervisor told him that he was going to give him a special privilege. The man owned a hunting lodge outside of Memphis, and he, he wanted Brian to spend a day or two at the lodge and the outdoors just enjoying the rewards of all his hard work. Brian thanked him for the privilege, but he needed the hours in order to get paid. He, he, he didn't want to, to take away from his hours. And his boss said, oh, don't worry about it. I'll pay you for what you missed. Just go. Enjoy some well-timed off. He was just a road worker. All the other guys on his crew didn't get off. And so the boss told him it was no problem, and he would keep him on the payroll for that weekend. So he was off like a shot, went to the lake. And that evening, he was sitting eating catfish dinner in the cabin by himself, enjoying the beauty of the Tennessee countryside, when the phone rang. It was his father. When he had gotten home from work, his mom had explained where Brian had been off to and under what arrangements. And so the voice on the other end of the line said, Son, what are you doing collecting pay without doing any work? 
Brian hadn't thought of it that way. He said, well, he, he gifted this to me. He, you know, Dad, I, I can't go back to my boss and tell him it's unfair to my coworkers and that he's doing something unethical to them. What he asked me to do, I can't do that. He'll get offended and he'll fire me. How am I going to get through college if I don't have this job? His father answered, I know you need this job to prepare you for what you want to do. I also know that what you need to do is to prepare for life. And this is not it. What would you do? Brian went home. And God prepared him for life. Brian Chapel was president of Covenant Theological Seminary for 18 years. He's one of the finest preachers of our land. During COVID, he is now the pastor emeritus of Grace Presbyterian Church in Peoria, Illinois. And if you ever get a chance to hear Brian Chapel preach, it is a treat. I have had the privilege of going to two Simeon Trust workshops where he was leading it. Amazing, amazing, graceful man. You go to the end of Daniel, chapter 12, verse 13. God says to him, but go your way, Daniel, till the end. And you shall rest and shall stand in your allotted place at the end of your days. See, my friends, we have a Savior who fought for us on the cross. When we had nothing to offer, he offered everything on our behalf so that we can stand resolved about the truth of the risen Christ. Will you do that with me? He says, we begin to fight clean this week. Let us be fueled by his word and by the Holy Spirit so that God willing, we will stand for the truth of this risen Christ till the end of our days. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for this wonderful story of Daniel's faithfulness and that he and Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah stood firm on the truth of the reality of the living God. And because they stood and, and lived unto you, you gave them favor in Nebuchadnezzar's court. Lord, I pray that you would give us favor wherever we're found and you would give us opportunities to point others to the reality of who you are. And as we do so, Lord, like Daniel, we would stand blessed to the end of our days in favored places because of your intervention, not our perfection or not our, in, our, our, our excellence, but because of your excellence in us in Jesus Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.